This show was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Bad English with your host, Ivan Aristegeta. Welcome to Bad English, where English, the popular language of the class, is not invited to the prom. Today we're going to try to tackle the debate about which language around the entire globe qualifies as the true language of love. Which one sounds best for poetry? I don't write poetry. I'm not an expert. That's why today we're going to talk to a very cool Australian poet with roots in Africa and Brazil who writes poetry in English. This is our insurance. This is my gift for you, from here to all eternity. If life chooses to get in the way, if, unfortunately, all that was solid melts into air, if one day there is nothing left, may these words remind us that for once, even for a few moments, there it was, and it was worth it. What a beauty. More beautiful stuff from Guido Melo later. We're going to start some fights, I promise. Our adjudicator is English teacher Eileen Bogun, who will be on hand with a stopwatch and a whistle. I'd like to start today's episode with a reminder. Bad English is the podcast where we punch up the most popular language in the world. English. It's an extremely biased, insensible and emotional reaction to a language that is confusing and inexplicable. Yes, we know that other languages can be difficult to learn, but that's for other podcasts. Our grudge here is with English. The necessary evil, the language of cool songs, great movies, diplomacy and the internet. We might be jealous, yeah, and a bit irrational, and if you take us too seriously, well, you you're being irrational too. My first language is Spanish, a romance language. I love my language. I think Spanish is great to express emotions and to describe the world around us in a more accurate way. Poetry, for example, sounds idyllic in Spanish. I think it sounds even better in French, and I don't speak French at all. But they are both Romance languages, languages of love. Poetry in English sounds more like a, like a rap song sung by King Charles. It's complete nonsense. No rhythm at all. You might not agree with me, but I expect that Spanish speakers will. So I went online trying to prove my point and I came across this video and my heart broke. I find English far finer language than, than Spanish. Why? Well, there are many reasons. Firstly, English is both a Germanic and a Latin language. That was Jorge Luis Borges, a highly respected, multi-award winner Argentinian writer and poet. He's known and praised in the entire Spanish-speaking world. He's a dead-set legend. His poems and short stories are incredible. And he prefers English? You're killing me here, Borges! I feel betrayed! Then in English you can do, well, you can do almost anything with verbs and prepositions. 
For example, to laugh off, to dream away. Those things can't be said in Spanish. To live down something, to live up to something. You can't say those things in Spanish. Traitor! Time to introduce you to Guido Melo. Guido is an award-winning Afro-Brazilian writer and poet based in Nam, Melbourne. Welcome, Guido, to Bad English Podcast. How are you? I'm very good, Ivan. How are you? Tudo bem? Tudo bem. Thanks for having me. So, because <laughs> you're from Brazil, you speak you speak Portuguese. Portuguese. Um, any other languages besides English and Portuguese? Yo hablo un poquito de español. Oh, sí? <laughs> and I lived in France for a summer, so I, I can, you know, un petit peu de français, pero, you know, like, I just oublié to... <laughs> wow, so you speak a bit of Spanish, a bit of French, but you're fluent, of course, in yeah. Portuguese and, I think and in English. I'm fluent in Spanish, actually. I, I think so too. We I haven't think had I can. we haven't had a full conversation, yeah. but I can tell. Yeah, accented, you know. We, we can tell. I, I can, I can. Yo hablo, yo hablo bien. Cuchara, tenedor, tranquilo. Spoon, fork, easy. <laughs> it's all good. Guido, your surname is Melo. Yes. And I, I know it's mellow, but the producers here said it M- Milo. Have you had that problem in Australia for a long time? The only time I saw Milo, that is my favorite move of all time. It's Adam Sandler's anger management. Yes. And in that movie, there is this Filipino guy who go out with his two chicks, and his name is Milo. Yeah. And that's the only time I heard, because no one in Australia ever called me Milo. They're just like, mellow. And mellow. it's that Aussie thing, like, mellow, you know, like, you know, so, so yeah, it's been mellow. It's been M- fine. Mellow sounds mellow. You know, you know the struggle? The struggle is my surname, Aristegueta. That's difficult. It's oh, even difficult yeah. for me, Aristegueta. It's right? Yeah, it's Basque, from the north of Basque. Spain. It's difficult they, they have a different accent don't they yes and they have their own language euskera is the language they speak in the basque region part of uh, spain and france this language is a mystery because it doesn't have like a latin or germanic root they don't know where the language comes from it's a very weird language with no specific root of origins they don't know where this language comes from i don't speak euskera i'm not basque it's just my surname Fair <laughs> i'm enough. venezuelan venezuelan spanish my family my mom is from sevilla but um, I've been uh, to Sevilla. It's yeah. a beautiful place. Yeah. So English, what's English. your story with English? How long have you been speaking English? How long have you been living in Australia for? So I've been in Australia for twenty years. You know, it's fascinating. It goes so fast. Basically, for the past twenty years, I mostly work with fashion. I had a fashion shop, and we sell women's wear from South America. So. 20 years living in an English-speaking country. How was it getting used to the culture here? Yeah, so um, when I first moved in, I was decided to never come back to Brazil. Okay. And I knew the only way this could happen is if I I needed to like here. I need to like here a lot. (laughs) I realized that people were really into football, Australian football. And I was like, okay, so I first watched it and I I hated it. I was like, this is a terrible game. But it's like, I have to like it. So it's like... Didn't you remember your father forcing you to like poetry? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to push my way through into this. I just basically, every weekend, you know, Foxtel would show every single game. I think it's nine games per weekend. And I would watch every single one. Every game is three hours. Yeah. And then 
six months thing to today's I loved it because you know after six months you know like a clockwork orange like when you open your eyes and you like have to look at something and you have to learn like in Brazil there's this belief I call it a religion but it's not a religion but I call it a religion it's called it's a saying that people say in Rio especially it's simpatia e quase amor I cannot translate this but the closest I can say is like Being nice to someone is almost like love, mm-hmm. loving them. Yeah, yeah. That's the best I could say to the translation. I thought if I knew footy and if I could talk about footy, these people would be like, oh, yeah, he's he's one of us. I was crazy. I, was, I would go to the pub, the SP and other pubs, get a pint, and then speak to the first random guy, you know, okay. that I would find. I was just like, hey, what's up? What what is your footy team? Yeah, and it'd be like you like footy. It's like yes, go Saints. And it's like what? <laughs> it's like I made a lot of friends like that. I just would talk to people like that, and that sort of that gave me a leeway to speak with people in English and to improve my my communication. So it was very useful. It was I, I felt as a good trading. I had to learn something from them. Yeah. I didn't do it with AFL, with footy. I did it with cricket. And it took me 10 years to understand cricket. <laughs> wow. Yeah. AFL was a bit easier. It was yeah, a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most sports are easy to understand. You just put the ball on the other side and prevent the other team to put the ball on your side. But cricket, no. Cricket is like finances. It's like you make an investment today and in three days you can make a return. <laughs> But it's a good thing that you did because you invest that time to say here... You know, there's something in your culture that I'm interested in. And I think that that was it. Like really understanding it, what was happening here and understanding how you could be part of it. How can I be part of it? Yes. How can I be part of this society, mm. culturally? You were saying that you're a poet as well as as in the business of clothing and, and fashion. Yeah. So I left the business of clothing last November and I just wanted to do something different. I'm a researcher at university, but one of the things I do is writing for the past five years. So how, how all these poetry and writing things started for you? My father, he used to be like not much around. He walked, he was from the Air Force. And then my mom used to be the one that disciplined me. She used to sort of get the Havaianas and <laughs> run me down and make sure I did what was need to be done. But the, my dad, sometimes when he was at home, if I did something wrong, and instead of like getting the Havaianas, he would give me a poem and said, now you're going to read the poem. And uh, when you can recite the poem, wow, then you can be free. So whatever, how long it takes. Wow. Yeah. So at the time I hated it. I thought it was, you know, they were so mean. But today I'm so grateful because it sort of made me love poetry and, and reading and think led me to be a writer today. Wow. So you write poetry in English. Do you used to write poetry in Portuguese back in Brazil? No. I discovered here, it's fascinating how... Brazil never allowed me, I never had time. Like, life was very busy in Brazil and very fast-paced and things were very difficult for me. And I guess I couldn't develop myself as a fully formed human being with all my predicaments. And 
characteristics. And in Australia, uh, look, what happened is I, I had this time to think and, and poetry was a natural expression of my 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 thinking. And I've read these really short poems. All my poems are like eight lines, six lines. Someone told me it's like haiku. Okay. But, but it's not really. It's not that small. But it's like I really like short poems and I really enjoy expressing myself, you know, mostly about love. Yep. Yeah, and it's something beautiful that I do. Can you translate poems into you English? You know, when I go from English to Portuguese, I usually have to add more because the Portuguese language, there's more conversation happening. There's yeah. more music and I have to add more if I'm going to translate. Just Google Translate doesn't do the, the work. One thing that you said about the music and the melody, have you noticed the does the metric in English and in Portuguese changes a lot? Like, have you got into that technicalities in poetry in English? You know, one of the things that I personally hate about English poetry is the rhyming. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sorry if you people are loving this, but I, I really don't. I just, just have to say something. This is the right place to just destroy the English language. Let's just do it. This is a safe place. Yeah, this we is won't, a safe we, space. We won't be deported. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what what are your problems with rhyming in English? I really dislike the rhymes. I think it, it's infantilized poetry. Like the room, they spoke with the doom, they spoke with the... I don't know. Like I don't even know how to do it. I find infantile and in a way very English. I think the English culture is so boring. It's so square, right? It's so devoid of creativity and the poetry is just that like the decade it's like none of this like my poem just flows you know you feel something and you really feel viscerally and you hope that your honest portrait of that feeling will connect with someone yeah independent of like the numbers of the decade or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like and i really resent that in english and i really resent how the arrogant, the presumption that what they do is brilliant when it's like so, you know, it, 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 there's so much more. I'm not an expert in poetry, but I, I do know that there's some things that you can transmit a lot better in your native language. And one thing that I've learned studied English is, for example, writing an essay in English. When I learned it, it was described as a straight arrow pointing down, as a you're going straight to the point. In uh, romantic languages, which is Portuguese, Spanish, uh, Italian, French, uh, Romanian, been, uh, Romanian, yeah, yeah, people forget Romanian. Romanian. Yeah. So it was represented like a snake. Instead of a straight line, is an S-shaped line that goes down, and, and then the arrow points down. But it takes turns. It's go to the sides a little bit, yeah. and then the Arabic languages, it was represented as a spiral. So the way it was explained to me was Germanic languages, which is English and, and you know, German and all the Nordic languages, straight to the point. Principal idea, secondary ideas, explain, conclusion, boom. And uh, romantic languages, there's so much ornament, so much explanation, so much atonements that you have to give more color and form to the word and to the phrases so people can pay attention because that's part of our culture. Yeah, I think, I really think there is a way of me perceiving reality 
I was trying to find, remember the sentence, but the sentence is somewhat like this. The language we speak define our realities. Yeah, that's I'm paraphrasing, great. and the sentence is not mine for someone else, but I can't remember the exact sentence, but it's like, the language we speak define our realities. And I not just write like this in this shape snake, and I'm doing a snake movement here on my fingers, but I think like this. Yeah. And I don't think straight to the point. I think around and I think I think everyone is around. And I think it's really funny because in all fairness, I do write in English today. Yeah. So my, my prose is written in English. And then I translate to Portuguese. So okay. that's my processes. My brain's thinking in Portuguese. And then I'm writing in English, and then I'm translating back to Portuguese. Wow. So, like, my writing is very specific. If you read my texts, you see there's something that's not, it's not English. It's not, like, I'm not a native writer. Okay. And people pick it up, and it's like this necessity. It's like almost a necessity to explain, to go around. To, to, to say more things, yeah. To say more than what I just want to say. You know, you remind me, uh, uh, when I started doing comedy in Venezuela in Spanish, a friend of mine who, he was like, I'm going to try to do some one-liners in Spanish. And um, no one in Venezuela has ever done one-liners. It's just like a lot of storytelling and, and more color and form, as I was saying before. So the one-liners he wrote, he wrote them in Spanish, but with the structure of an English joke none of the jokes worked because the audience was like okay and then it was like why did you just stop talking it makes sense now <laughs> what's been your biggest struggle in english since you got here i remember it was my 50 in australia and so that's maybe 2008 and i'm like watching south park And I've been watching South Park since Brazil, first in sort of in Portuguese, and then watching in English since I moved to Australia. And I watched, I don't know, hours of it every week. And I could never understand Eric Cartman because Eric Cartman is like impossible. He just talks like it's a for foreigner. <laughs> it was like an impossible accent, at least to me. And then I was looking at TV and I was like, everything Eric Cartman was saying, I was like, I understand it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so now I understand English. And I think that was really my moment that I was like, I know this language. I get it now. I get it. <laughs> I South get, Park. I get Eric Cartman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. It's like, for example, for me, the things that I, what's a, a, a big problem that Spanish speakers have when we speak English is the prepositions, for example, the in, on, at, I don't know if you have the same problem in yeah, because, Portuguese. Yeah, because it's different for us. So, accept that I never get prepositions in, at, on. Same thing for me. You know, yeah. It's always a gamble, in, on, or at. I've done so many jokes about this because it's a big gamble. I'm so happy that all the people who speak Portuguese go no, through the same problem. It is, it is the most impossible. Like, I know my phone is on the table, but like, for example, you land in Melbourne <laughs> yeah. or at Melbourne it's like like what is I don't like it's impossible like everything in Portuguese has a gender 
Yeah, like in Spanish. Everything. Yeah. So like we can just get you can say anything and I can tell you the gender. So like yeah. the sun is a boy. The table is a girl. Yeah. The chair is a girl. The plate is a boy. Yeah. No logic. No logic. The microphone all. is a boy. The monitor is a boy. <laughs> cable boy. The cable is a boy. Yeah. What else? But the light above ourselves is a girl. Yeah. And it goes like that. The clouds are girls. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who made these rules. It just is. But that's a bad thing about about our languages. That's a good thing about English. You don't have to think about who is a boy, no who is a girl. There's no gender in English. That's a great thing. Uh, another problem that I have, for example, is falling off or falling out or falling in or falling over. I never know if it's on, in, over, out. It's just fall is a fall. Like yeah. And I never know why you have to have to be so specific about the falling. It's a, it's already a tragedy. It's just it's just falling. <laughs> it's just falling. <laughs> it's just... What was your earliest memory of experiencing English back in Brazil? When I was growing up, my father used to like to listen to Frank Sinatra and the Beatles and I learned English listening to him and then when I was in year five I started to study English at school and so I have some basis of English so when I got to Australia I thought ah oh, everything I just have to remove the O so <laughs> economical economic you know so I just sort of did like that and that made me have a really have accent how they say here in English thick accent yes because I was doing business so I decided that I would pay for a phonopath a phonologist and for a few months I think maybe a year or so I pay for a phonologist to, to meet me and teach me how to say words with the correct accent so I could be more impressionable over the phone and make better business deals. Teaching me these things really helped me. And I remember that was really focused on business, but it really allowed me to, to be more confident. And as you increase your confidence, you're a better speaker. You become more eloquent. So like really for me, without that coach, I don't know how long it would have taken for me to develop the English, you know. We have a similar story. I did six sessions with a speech coach. Mm -hmm. I used to do comedy Venezuela in Spanish. And then when I moved here, I knew the language, but I was afraid people would know my, wouldn't understand what I was saying because of my accent. Mm. So I did a similar thing. Uh, and most exercises, just reading something out loud with a pencil stuck in our mouth. Did you do that? Like, no, I didn't. Oh, for, that for, sounds cool. So, yeah, it is. The idea <laughs> is like, you know, like biting a pen or a pencil across your mouth. Uh, I don't know how to give you guys the picture for the listeners but the whole idea is that obstructs your like tongue. horizontally horizontally the horizontal. thank you Hori yeah. horizontally thank you yeah. the whole idea is that it obstructs your your tongue so when you're reading out loud you have to move other muscles because your tongue is not working so you have to move m muscles on your cheeks and your face and exaggerate it so you can pronounce and enunciate a lot better. So you read a couple of pages out loud with that obstruction. You look ridiculous, you sound ridiculous, it's very funny and very fun to watch. But when you remove the pencil and you read the paper again, you sound amazing. <laughs> you sound like a news anchor on a, on a TV station. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool.
Widow, do you have any any poems? Do you bring any poems with you today? I did. And the name is perfectly appropriate. Uh, the name of the poem is Time Capsule. This is our insurance. This is my gift for you. From here to all eternity. If life chooses to get in a way. If, unfortunately, all that was solid melts into air. If one day there's nothing left, may these words remind us that for once, even for a few moments, there it was, and it was worth it. Wow. That was beautiful, man. Thank beautiful, you. Thank beautiful. You. So if this is a very, um, let's say, a serendipitous opportunity. I just wanted to say a big word in English. <laughs> Because this is about English, and I'm trying hard. Serendipitous opportunity because our English expert walked into the room when Guido was reading the poem. So welcome to Bad English, Eileen Bagan. She's been teaching English for 30 years? Yeah, nearly 30. That was a beautiful poem. Thank you. Yeah. So Eileen, we've been talking, uh, Widow and I, about writing in English and the English structure. Sometimes Widow, he says that you were thinking in Portuguese. Thinking in Portuguese, writing in English, translating to Portuguese. Back again, which is uh, very complex. And uh, for so many years he's been writing in English, he still thinks there's a lot of stuff that he doesn't understand in English, just like myself. (laughs) Uh, So did you bring anything special, anything in particular about the English language that we should learn today? Yes, please. In relation to poetry, Poems, a lot of English poetry rhymes. Oh my God, I hate to have <laughs> oh, rhymes. <do> you, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, with English rhyming words, there are three categories I was going to talk about today, and they are homophones, homonyms, and catronyms. Catronyms. Yeah, we'll start with homophones and homonyms. So if we separate the words into the prefixes, the first bit, homo, homo means the same. Mm-hmm. And then you've got homophone, phone means sound. So words with the same sound, but with different meanings. Got it. Okay, so for example, you could have a homophone like eight and eight. Do you know the two meanings? The number eight? Yes. And the pass of eating. Yes. Yes. So if you put it in a sentence, you could say, I ate eight apples for breakfast. Another homophone might be, the sea is a great place to see a seal. So you've got sea and sea. So there's a homophone. And because they have the same pronunciation, you could use that in a poem. And often in poems in English, at the very basic level, they end with the same sounding word. Then we've got a homonym, and a homonym are words that are written the same and sound the same, but have different meanings. I hate those. Mm. So <laughs> same spelling, same sound, but different meaning. Yes. That's just lazy. That's <laughs> yes. just You like, can come, on, come up with a different a word. word. Yeah. Please. <laughs> so That's, I hate those. Let's do an example. So you would have second and second. What are the two meanings? Second like, like the number. Oh, the second, the the, the time second. Yeah. yeah. And then the number, the, the, the position. After, after first. first. Yeah, so second and second. Oh. Or you could have bar and bar. So... 
prison bar yeah and pub yeah yeah prison bar and bar yeah so those are homonyms they have the same spelling mm. same sound same pronunciation but different meanings there's not the, the ones that i hate the most is the same spelling different pronunciation those are the ones oh, that those. i hate yeah okay <laughs> same yes actually those are called homographs so graph means written so they're written the same and they're pronu- different pronunciation i hate yeah, those are, yeah. wow. <laughs> those are hard so you'd have an example like bow and bow yes bow and bow <laughs> wow and, and then you've got live <laughs> and live lives and live yeah to live a great life yeah. and to go to a live concert down tear and tear that's always oh, a that just means tear yeah. a piece of paper and to shed a tear very poetic <laughs> it could but actually there's another category that's quite difficult to grapple with or that actually can be very interesting as well and they're called contronyms now contronyms have the same sound and the same spelling but they have contradictory meanings or opposite meanings a very common one would be something like clip and clip so you might clip a bonsai tree yeah which means to cut to yeah. to, to nip it exactly and yeah. you also clip some pieces of paper together oh so wow. the meaning is completely opposite one is to cut and one is to bind That's one way of remembering That's it. That's just sadic. <laughs> we should make a little a little rhyming game if we can. Do we have time for a rhyming game? That's a good idea. A competition? Yeah. Oh my god, I'll lose badly. <laughs> yeah, me too. But this is this is what it is. Well, We're learning. They do say that there are some words in English that are very very difficult to rhyme with. Um angst. 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 Angustia. How do you say angust yeah. anguish angustia 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 so there aren't many words that end with angst <laughs> i guess angst so that makes it hard but um you know there's an old english word thanksed now we say thanked ed yeah but in old english they would say thanksed so perhaps so you, know, you could be a thanksed. bit poetic and use the word thanksed oh that's angst. a beautiful word and actually <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I like that. The hardest word to rhyme with in English is orange. Orange. So maybe we could use that in the competition like the that fruit, we're about to the do. Like the fruit, the color. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, orange. If we give you two minutes, yeah. can you guys come up with to rhyme with a orange? A couple of sentences to rhyme with orange. Okay, two minutes. 30 seconds to go. Okay. Okay. Well, you have, you have a quick. good <laughs> I think so. I go first? Yes. Okay. Entering the wood, I saw blue above and green below. Thinking of you, I felt red inside. The conversations were gray and light. In purple I dress, ready to be. In origin came to be with me. That's ah. that it's a beautiful poem that only says orange once. You didn't <laughs> rhyme orange with any other word. I just took a, you know, poetic license. <laughs> okay. Um I was in the farm 
picking some orange <laughs> just <laughs> and next to the farm was a shooting range <laughs> oh good <laughs> yeah that's the way to do it yeah <laughs> shooting range bring it on bring it on I don't know if I can make a change like it I like it and Eileen likes it for a change yay <laughs> Well done. That was strange. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're getting into it now. <laughs> you know, I just want to say that Aristegeta, as a poet, you're a great comedian. <laughs> Well, big thanks, I think, to Widow Mello for the conversation and the beautiful poems, and to our supreme master of English, teacher Eileen Buggan. Thanks for listening to another fabulous episode of Bad English. Don't forget to tell your friends, subscribe, follow us. Bad English is a production of Ear Candy Media for SBS Audio. Our producer is Bez Zode. Sound design and edit Tiffany Dimmock. Executive producer Ian Walker. The podcast's manager at SBS Audio is Caroline Gates. Thanks to Joe Supple and the SBS Audio team. I'm Ivan Aristegueta. Adios. Till next time.